0: Welcome to episode 310 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Brian Levin. And I'm Marshall Black. Welcome back for another episode. Brian, we got a good interview today. Yeah, today we're catching up with Skylar Balbus. She is the Director of Product Design at Postlight Studio. But before we get into our interview, we've got a little bit of follow-up. Marshall and I have been thinking in the background about how to organize and better surface listener questions and the answers that we give to those listener questions. And so we've always wondered how to do this because people will send us direct messages, they will be private, and sometimes they get lost in the inbox or like we don't have a great way of keeping that backlog. And then whenever we do surface something from that backlog, it's really hard to like reference it or, or let that person know that it was answered. Mm-hmm. So uh, we're gonna do a little experiment. So we've set up a GitHub repository for design details. It's at github.com slash specfm slash design hyphen details. Uh, we'll have a link in the show notes. But I think this is kind of an interesting use case for a repository where the way it would work is when people have questions, they can open an issue. And Marshall, you and I can use that list of issues as sort of, you know, pending listener questions. Mm -hmm. And when we answer them, we can reply to the issue with a link to the episode and then close the issue. So we'll have this list of things that are open and pending and a list of things that are closed and answered. And a really positive side effect of having a system like that is... Things will be a little bit more searchable, so people can Google for that question and will end up in these issues that have been opened and closed. Mm-hmm. So that's the concept.
1: Also, uh, one of the things that we've heard from listeners is that usually the way people ask us questions is through Twitter, but not everybody has a Twitter account. So would they have to sign in with GitHub, like create a GitHub account to create an issue? Yes. Okay. Well, okay, so separate thing, but even if you don't want a Twitter account, you just make a GitHub one and you don't have to have Twitter.
0: Yeah, and GitHub has a fairly low friction signup flow. So if you wanted to make a dummy account for an anonymous question, that's totally legitimate. There you go. So if you're listening and have a question, you know, feel free to keep sending us DMs to the Twitter account. But if you don't mind, I think this would be a fun experiment. So we have one question on there now that we'll be able to answer in future episodes. But, yeah, I don't know. I guess in a perfect world, this would be a great like organizational structure for these. So let's try it out, everybody. If you have questions, uh, go to the repo. It's github.com slash specfm slash design hyphen details. Link in the show notes. Link in the show notes. Okay, so that was uh, just a little bit of, I guess, housekeeping, not really follow-up. And then we also have a little bit of news this week. This is uh, self-serving news. I'm going to toot my own horn, Marshall. Okay, bring it. Uh, I'm on a Figma plugin.
1: Kick. You are, aren't you? Yeah.
0: I'm on a kick. So I've built a few at this point, but I just published my first one. So I just wanted to self plug, if that's not too annoying. But the plugin is called Responsify, and it's a way to quickly test your designs across multiple device sizes. So the way it works is you select a frame or a component or an instance. You run the plugin, and you can select the type of device sizes you want to test it against. So for example, test this on all iphone screen sizes and it'll just basically automate the process of duplicating and resizing to those exact dimensions and so it supports iphone sizes some common android sizes
1: desktop tablet and watch watch is only two (laughs) but (laughs) sure yeah does this um require that i have all of my pinning and all that stuff set up resizing yes so you should have your constraints set properly i don't think there's any way to really like
0: do that automatically because certain things might be centered or bottom or top so if anything what this is is a great like bug hunting mechanism to see which components are not constrained properly yeah this is cool yeah that's my little self plug yeah good good work brian put it on the perf actually you know what by the time this episode comes out i hope to have released another one so i gave marshall a little sneak peek before we recorded yeah this one's even cooler this next one i'm actually really excited about i don't think i'll be able to use it in my day-to-day but maybe other people will so again tell them about it or you're just gonna you're just gonna tease it no I'm gonna
1: tease okay
0: if it's out I will have tweeted about it otherwise we can
1: mention it next week cool cool good work Brian <laughs> I I dig I dig your figma thing you're on this is this is cool thanks we'll we'll get you converted at some point yeah I'm not a post I'm not a post
0: yeah I think wh- the the ecosystem's evolving quickly like Every day I'm checking the directory and there's new plugins and a lot of them are are pretty cool. The constraints of the system, of the plugin ecosystem, are very interesting in like what's possible and what's not possible and the reasons why. Mm -hmm. And I've had a lot of ongoing sort of back-channeled conversations with the Figma team about concerns and uh, ideas and net excited about what's going to be happening here. So. Did you say net excited? Net excited. <laughs> <laughs>
1: okay.
0: Yeah. Awesome. I'm a metrics-driven, uh, excited kind of guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> ROI
1: is positive.
0: Yeah, yeah. All right, well, that's uh, some news, and that's it. Episode's over. No, just that's kidding. A- we have an interview, Brian. <laughs> we have an interview. Uh, as we mentioned, we're catching up today with Skylar Balbus. She is the director of product design at Postlight, and we'll let her introduce herself in her own words, but... Uh, Buckle up. We had a great time recording this. And thank you, Skylar, for joining us. Welcome to the podcast, Skylar.
2: Thanks. It's great to be here.
0: For people who don't know you, could you describe yourself in your sure. own words?
2: <laughs> so, hi, I'm Skylar Balbus, and I'm a director of product design at Postlight, which is a product design studio here in New York City.
0: Cool. And what are you working on at we Working
2: on a whole bunch of different things. Right now, a couple different media things, a couple different more standalone app product things, and also helping build out and manage a team. We're hiring, so if you're interested, uh,
0: <laughs> the check it out. Yeah. There we go. Got it in early. <laughs>
2: Woo! Okay, we're done, we're done. I don't have to do that anymore.
0: <laughs> no, that's cool, though. It's uh, a product design agency. Can you tell me more about what that even means?
2: Sure, so it's product design and development. Okay. And we, we build products for... Clients, so that's that's sort of the the core of Postlight's business. We do a lot of different kinds of product work for a lot of different kinds of clients. I've been there for about three and a half years and I've seen a ton of different kinds of things and got to work in a lot of different industries uh, like uh, financial services, nonprofits, uh, media. I think I mentioned that one before. We do a lot of work with WordPress and other uh, complex CMS work.
1: This is interesting. It sounds kind of like a, a game studio in that like, You're really good at doing the thing you do. And then somebody comes to you from the outside and says, we want X. Do it for us, right?
2: Yeah, sometimes that happens. I think more often what happens is people go, I have this thing that I think I can sort of do, but I don't know how. Or I have like some of the team, but I don't have all of the team. Or I want to test this thing out so that I can get buy-in in my organization to like mm-hmm. do a big thing. Can you just like help me make this one thing first? And so we end up doing a lot of that really, really more collaborative with our clients than saying like, here, you you take this and you do that. And then just like talk to us when it's done. It's a lot more of let's figure out what this thing is together and let's build it together.
1: That's cool. That's a more fun way to do it. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah, it's fun and uh, like you get to learn a lot about whatever the challenges are that they're facing. Like they've they've come to us because there's some reason that they they need our services. So getting getting really deep into what that means has been really exciting.
0: I'm really curious about how this looks like from the design process internally. So in the back of my head as you're describing all this, I'm thinking like how does the iterative process work? So you give somebody a product do you have the chance to follow up on that and like build multiple versions of it? Or is it a one and done kind of thing and they have to rehire you if they want iterations?
2: It totally depends. So with some of our clients, we have ongoing like work with them. So we're just kind of there and we work very iteratively with them, we're in it with them. We help figure out like what is this first phase? How do we continue to build on that? Often those relationships go on for years, okay. Which is really exciting. It means that like we can really see things through. With other projects, it is much more of a here's the thing. Let's let's test these things, and then we'll see what happens next. And sometimes they come back. We've had a lot of clients that do come back um, and work on a second phase of work with us. And somewhere it's like success means delivering that. Thing for them to be using and trying and and working on their own, Uh, so that happens too.
0: Okay, yeah. I was just I was wondering what I'm trying to understand is if the product is successful or not. Like, how does that make it way make its way back to you? So, for example, I'm looking on on the Postlight website, and there's a project for the Audubon Society, right? Mm -hmm. And you made a mobile app for the Audubon Society, and like you give it to them and nobody uses it or like the usability like people (laughs) (laughs) like in that scenario like how does Mm -hmm. that education come back to the design team to be like okay that approach didn't work here's how we would redo it in the future like sort of retros for each of these things
2: yeah yeah sometimes we have that information because we just continue those relationships with our clients but sometimes we don't um and in part that's in because we are not really the product team for that product We're helping get it off the ground. We're helping it become real. But sometimes that also means handing it off to an internal team to be able to own and continue iterating on and continue building on their own. So it really depends. I think in some ways that was one of the most challenging things for me to learn coming not from an agency background, where you're really used to being able to say, like, let's do these small changes. Let's change this one thing, see how the users feel about it, see what the results are, Mm -hmm. and then either we'll keep that thing or we'll change it. We'll iterate it on it. We'll have data about it. We don't always have that. So a lot of times we have to use our own experience from other projects, from what was successful and what was not. Sometimes we bake in a lot of testing phases before we get to that handoff and that release so that we have that information as we keep going. And sometimes... We just do our best and we, we guess. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> we, we hope for the best. And sometimes it's wrong. Like some, we, we, I don't think we've ever delivered a product that was not the like the right thing at the end. But in that like iterative process to get to that point, sometimes we don't make the right guesses and we have to continue working on that same way anybody else would do in a design process.
0: What's the process like when you get a client that does something in some industry that you know nothing about? So I'm looking at this Audubon app. And in the back of my head, I'm thinking, okay, I work at an agency, this organization wants me to build a bird watching app. I've never watched a bird. Like what's the process for your team or designers to sort of ramp up on these sort of niche maybe or like obscure industries or, or types of projects?
2: Well, the first thing is you should definitely watch some birds. Um, (laughs)
1: I'll download the app. (laughs) I have a cousin who's into it. Uh, Does that count?
2: It definitely does. (laughs) Sort of. I actually really like bird watching, so I was really pumped when we got the Audubon app. <laughs> but, but part of what we did was we went out with the Audubon folks. We went to, like, Prospect Park in, you know, like, 7 a.m. in the middle of, like, whenever we started working on that, it was probably, like, it was a warm time. I didn't bring a coat.
0: It was a warm someday. <laughs> I know.
2: <laughs> but we went out and we just bird watched with them. They had a group out. We all had binoculars. And so we got to talk to people and say, like, what, what do you Use an app for? And we learned that for some people, like there are very specific types of apps that they use. We found there's one app that is only different kinds of warblers because there are so many and they're so hard to identify. And so thinking through, oh, that's super interesting. Is that a feature that we should be building within the Audubon app? Is that something that makes sense? Is it its scope? Can we can we even think about that right now? But really getting in there and doing that kind of user research early and often is really, really helpful when bird watching might not be super familiar to everybody on the team.
0: For Sure. Right. So, let me dig into that a little more. You said before Postlight, you were working in-house for a product company. Is that correct?
2: Yes. So, before Postlight, I was on the in-house team at General Assembly, and I was sort of on the brand and product teams. Before that, I was in the team at LiveStream working on their product as well. Um, So, Postlight was the first agency I had ever joined. So, they're they're not. Too many differences, which is a little bit surprising to me, but some very, very significant ways of thinking about product that, that are a bit different from an agency. Ooh,
1: tell me more. <laughs> yes. Elaborate, por favor. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Let's see. I think the biggest thing that I had to learn was like how to let things go. I found that from my own experience in house, it was sort of easy to be like, oh, we'll come back to that. Like we get to iterate on that. We, we know we have to do this thing now, but we have a plan. We have a roadmap. We know that these things are going to come back. But when you launch something as an, an agency, you don't always get the opportunity to have it come back. So being able to say I know what that roadmap looks like. I know how far I and my team have been able to get along that roadmap, which is probably not to the very end of that, sure, but that's okay and being able to say, well, Let's put this out, let's let the client test it too, um and see where we go from there. But there is still this like I was talking with the coworker about it and it's a little bit like this this weird sadness that happens the end of of something where you just have to like let it go in the world and it's not part of your process it's not part of your day-to-day anymore
0: why did you decide to go into the agency world from being in-house
2: I was really interested by what Postlight was doing. So they had just started officially as an agency when I joined them. I think they'd been around for a couple of months, and it just seemed like such an amazing group of really smart, really talented people who were making products and, and working on a lot of interesting, different kinds of things. And that's true. Like that, I'm using past tense, but it's, it's also present tense.
0: <laughs> that was all true then. No longer true now. Right, exactly.
2: <laughs> Everything is different now. Yeah. But no, it's, it's like that is still who we are. And that's still like really exciting to me. I think I was I was interested in seeing how much I could learn sort of as quickly as I could. And I thought that an agency would be a really great way for me to learn that. And I, I had chosen PostLite in part because it didn't feel like an agency to me. It felt like a product team. And that that's because we make real product and, and we have to structure our teams and our environments with making real product in mind. So it, it felt, it had that same kind of vibe, that same kind of feel, which was really exciting for me.
0: One common sort of theme that I hear come up when people go the opposite direction, which is they're in an agency and they go to in-house. The reason seems often to be that people don't feel like they get the investment Time Mm. in the product. Like they don't feel invested in the outcome. Mm -hmm. Going the other way, like what's been your experience there of going from the in house to agency and and that feeling of investment?
2: That's an interesting one. I think I, I don't feel that way. I won't speak for anybody else, but I feel like instead I've been able to dive really deep into a lot of things. One of the projects that I worked on maybe a couple years ago now, was the redesign of the Village Voices website, which was super cool to work on of like a historic New York paper. I sort of socially knew some of the people who worked there. So that was really cool. And to this day, I still feel this connection to that and to that sort of like sphere of media. So even though I wasn't a Village Voice employee and I wasn't working on it as part of them, I was still at Prosite. I still feel like I had that investment into it. I think part of why that is true for me, at least, is is because we try to structure projects so that everybody, especially like lead designers, lead engineers, lead PMs. And I say lead, often our projects are are quite lean. So you have one designer, one PM, a couple (laughs) engineers working on a project, but there's a lot of ownership and autonomy over the work. So you're, you're really trusted to try to figure out what's best and go with that thing. So because of that, you really do get to own that thing. So I have never really felt like ah, I don't get to learn as much. I don't get to like be in the thing as much. I feel like I have that for a lot of different things and stuff.
0: I see. So it's, it seems like that that outcome is a byproduct of the way the organization's set up and the way that teams are structured. Like they're put together in such a way that by being the only one or one of a small team, you can have that sort of investment implicitly
2: yeah and i think we're seeing too how did to, how to scale with that like that's really important to us and that's really important to our, our working culture. But we do have projects that are getting to be quite large now. Um, and so figuring out how we can still have people feel that invested and that that kind of authority and autonomy over their own work when they're not the only ones, when they have more people to collaborate with is something we're working on too. Okay,
0: cool. Yeah, that makes sense. What, what are some of the other challenges? Like projects getting too big makes sense. What are some other things going on that you're trying to figure out right now?
2: I think some of it is one of the challenges that we're thinking about now is how to better collaborate across our teams. And so one of the things that, that we're, we're trying to focus on too, sort of with the idea of like, how do we scale? How do we grow both as a company, but also like for our teams, too, is figuring out how to how to communicate better and how to rely on other members of the team. So, so more in a, in a cross-functional and internal kind of way, but that sometimes also includes the client. So figuring out how to be really clear about what we need and what the work is going to look like and what we can expect from each other as we go through the process of working on product together and come out with something amazing on the other side.
0: Uh, I want more details on this specific one. So, so I can imagine a scenario in my head where you're working on lots of cool projects and designer on project A comes up with some really interesting interaction or pattern or visual decision that might actually be more applicable to project B with Mm -hmm. designer B like how do those ideas cross-pollinate internally and like what yeah how do you set up systems so that people kind of have this awareness of what's going on what's useful what could be reused.
2: Yeah, actually, that was a big one for our team. I think over the last year, we've we've done a lot to try to improve that because we we heard from our team. We did a like a, an offsite and a retro like around the holidays, and one of the things we heard was that people felt a little siloed. That if you're the only one working on your thing and everybody else is the only one working on their thing, it can be pretty easy to be like, "Well, everybody's just kind of in their bubble, and like I don't have anything in common with anyone. I can't." like ask anyone out for coffee. Uh-huh. So we're like, that's not cool. Like we all <laughs> yeah. sit next to each other. Like this is weird. So so we put a couple structures in place. One was we, we changed the way that we do sort of all team meetings. So we, we have an all team space that we all meet all together and people can sign up to share work and sort of ask for feedback in a specific way of saying like, here's the context. We, we ask people to write a little bit about it before the meeting. So everybody else can come prepared with that context. And then when we're in that space together, it's an opportunity for designers to practice their presentation skills, but also practice delivering and and receiving feedback on the thing. So that's one of the ways of sort of like being able to share ideas. So you could share with everybody on the team and then somebody could be like, oh, that was a really interesting way of like, Doing a form input, I'm also working on really complex form inputs. Like, let's figure it out. Another thing that we started doing is what we call a pair designing program, which maybe needs a better name. This this (laughs) came up. We'd end up using. That's, I, well, good. that's like, I think that needs something else too.
1: Like buddy design kind of situation? Product design performance. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you say pair, pair design?
2: Yes. So it's sort of inspired by like pair programming, but we've ended up using just like the pair emoji. For it so maybe, maybe that's all we need. Oh,
1: pair like P E A R. Oh, I was a P A I R. That's what I'm like, uh, like a buddy design project. Like, we <laughs> it is P A I R, but they're using the P E A R emoji. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm so confused. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
2: I'll explain it. I'll explain it. Right. So, so we were thinking about how to bring people more one to one together because we felt like we had this sort of big space, but we didn't have a way to get people really making those connections on their own one to one. So, thinking about how other kinds of disciplines do that and we, we know that with our engineers they sometimes do pair programming which is that somebody will sit with somebody else and like one person will drive and do the work and the other person can sort of give advice or say oh have you thought about doing it this way here's my how I might be thinking about it and we thought that was a really interesting model and this actually came out I was in a slack group I think where somebody was like has anyone ever tried to do this and the responses were overwhelmingly that is a terrible idea uh-huh. and so I of course was like, there's something in that. (laughs) Like, (laughs) what? Because there is something that's like, as a designer, I would never like want somebody else driving my my whole like sketch. Like having two people doing the mouse at the same time—that's a nightmare. But actually, that is something that I had to do with a client once, where like we both sat around a laptop together and figured something out. And it was amazing, a little bit frustrating at first until we figured out how to like collaborate in that way. But we ended up with something really, really cool because we were able to do that.
1: Yeah, I've I've done something similar, but with with engineers. Like have mm-hmm. the engineers stand over their shoulder and, and and be like, oh, what about this? What about that? And then I I do the driving because they don't know how to use the program. But uh, yeah, similar thing, but instead of two designers, it's an engineer and designer.
2: Yeah, I, we do that a lot too. It's sort of like uh, like a design QA kind of thing,
1: mm-hmm. yeah, or yeah. sometimes
2: even like working stuff out live rather than. In, in Sketch or in Figma or any, any other tool. But this was really like thinking about how to get designers to just have ideas together. So we set up this program with the pair emoji now, <laughs>
1: Yes, <Yeah. laughs>
2: um, that it pairs everybody up. So every week you'll meet with somebody different. And you have two meetings a week, one in which you are the driver. So you schedule the meeting and you are the one who is asking for something. And I'll get into what that means. And there's another meeting where you're responding to somebody else who has invited you to a meeting. And the content of that meeting is really whatever the driver wants. If they want feedback on something they're doing, that's great. If they want to talk about a problem or something that they're working on right now, also great. If they just want to go out for coffee, that's amazing. Like, like use the time the way that you need to. If this is somebody that you haven't worked with before, somebody new to the team, get to know them. If it's somebody that has more experience or less experience in a certain field, maybe talk about that. And everybody across, across the whole team just does that. So it doesn't matter what level you're at, you're going to meet with everybody else. That's awesome. It's been really cool. We've done it for a couple months now. And I think the most challenging thing is that I set the schedule every week. I love logic puzzles. So it's like really fun to be like, who hasn't met with this person in the last like six weeks? And how do I do that? There's got to be a better way to automate that. Uh, (laughs) Mm -hmm. But for now, like we're figuring it out as we go.
1: Software can solve this. (laughs) (laughs) How many designers do you have?
2: Um, that's a good question. Cause we just hired a couple people. I think right now we have 12 or 13, maybe somewhere around there.
1: Okay. It's a decent number of permutations.
2: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, I actually on that note, here's something I'm curious about, you know, when, when you mention, Oh, there's gotta be a way to like solve all this scheduling and like logic puzzles. My mind immediately goes like, Oh, there's gotta be a way to solve that with code and like make a little app for it. And then I'm like, Okay, there's like a side project there. Maybe other companies have this problem, like maybe this is a thing that we could build. I'm curious what it's like to encounter those kinds of producty problems inside an agency where your main job is actually just building products for other people.
2: Yeah. So, that is our main job, but we do have we have a little labs. So, we call it Postlight Labs, and it's a way for us to make our own products. So, Well, I really hope that somebody will help me take on this. Like, how can engineering help us solve this prayer designing problem? Most of our labs projects are a little bit larger in scope than that. Yeah, yeah. But it's it's been a really interesting way for us to try something out, to try a new technology, or try putting something together in a really interesting way, or bring something to a community that might need it, or like make something fun. So we've done a bunch of different kinds of projects so far under the umbrella of postlight labs and these I think one of our first ones was called gift battle it's a gift battle dot zone and I I hope it still works I think I I checked in on it a couple months ago and it was a little bit strange because a lot of the gifts were no longer hosted (laughs) so like you have to make sure that the gifts are are somewhere where you can still see them but it's really cool and you can have a a fight with somebody only using gifts which is a pretty good way to have a fight I think (laughs) yeah (laughs) but then we also have a lot more more sort of practical (laughs) kinds of labs projects that we've done, including Mercury, which is sort of a whole suite of different things that are all about parsing text online. So Mercury Reader allows you to kind of strip away all of the extraneous stuff from any website and get just the content of the thing. And then there's a couple other pieces to that, that that we've all open source that allow you to kind of build on top of Mercury and allow different parsing for different kinds of content on the web. So it sort of runs the gamut a little bit. But all of these were things that somebody inside Postlight was like, I kind of want to make this. I want to figure out how to get this to work.
0: Yeah. Okay. So this is where my questions really start to bubble. So I want to know about how this like program for labs even started. I want to know how you get buy-in to get engineering resources to build one. I want to know how ideas get approved or rejected. Like, what is the life cycle of one of these labs projects? And, you know, how feasible is it really for anybody to to work on one of these?
2: Okay, that's a lot of questions. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. We can start with like, l- tell me about the life cycle for, for a labs project, who proposes it? And then where does it go from there?
2: So this is a really great moment for us to be talking about this because we are on the edge of, I suppose, redesigning the way we think about labs. Okay, great. So the way that our labs projects have worked in the past is a little bit different. So I can speak to how they'll work now. That's sort of the present present era of labs. Okay. Anyone can propose an idea. Anyone. We have, we have a forum that we intake all we care about is, is, is it a good idea? Who is it for? Is it for people who need this kind of thing? Is there something else in the world that it is like, how is it different? And then what, what kind of is the value to that audience? Is it something that's really going to make a difference in people's lives? Or is it something that's just like a very small niche kind of thing? And then we evaluate. And so by, by we, I mean, they're, they're representatives from each of the functional departments. So design, design, engineering and product management and managing partners as well. And we all kind of give a thumbs up, thumbs down about the idea. And then I want to say the ones with the most thumbs up, go ahead, but that's not really how it goes either. The thumbs up, thumbs down helps us figure out, is this something that we feel like we as Postlight, can stand behind? Is this something that we want to put ourselves into? And then we sort of choose the idea based on that, and also who's available to work on it. So when you said, like, how feasible is it that anybody gets to work on it, it is extremely feasible. We have committed that everybody at PostLite gets about two weeks a year, sometimes a little bit more, depending on scheduling, oh, cool! to work on a labs project. And so the labs projects are kind of assigned based on who is available, how we've scheduled everybody out, and whether those skills for that team align with the projects that we have right now.
0: Okay, that's super interesting. The the two weeks for everybody to work on a labs project. That's pretty generous, it sounds like to me.
2: Yeah, I think we're still figuring out technically how that works. It's definitely going to work for all of our engineers because we have more engineers on our team right now for our design team because we have however many I said we had earlier, maybe 12 or 13 it's a little bit trickier to get everybody to have like the two week span. What we're trying to do is be a little more flexible with the way that we staff things. Right. But still allow people to dedicate time to it that isn't just like off the side of their desk or in the night hours or when they're not like active on a client thing, really saying we want to prioritize this work as well.
0: Has there ever been effort to monetize one of these labs projects?
2: Uh, No.
0: <laughs> Why not?
2: I think in part because what we try to do with the labs is make something that's interesting or useful for people. And so part of that is we end up open sourcing some of them instead of trying to make them a product company in and of itself. And I'm not sure. I think I think there may be a time in the future where we get to that point. But right now, part of what makes a successful labs project is, is kind of the scope. And so a lot of the things that we end up doing are not quite full companies in and of themselves. They could be probably, they, they could be like the, the kernel of a company, but I'm thinking of, we made one recently called Fire Ipsum, which is a lorem Ipsum generator that uses the text of the Fire Festival presentation to like create that tech content. Uh That's not a company. (laughs) Like that's not, you probably could sell that. You could
0: probably raise a seed round for it if (laughs) if we're being honest here.
2: (laughs) I mean, good luck trying that now. (laughs) But it's something that we just wanted to put out into the world. So I'm not sure. I think we tend not to take on labs projects that are so big as to become their own kind of company, but that may change. And I think we may have to evolve if and when that happens
0: yeah i could imagine there being some tension there like you're you're an organization that is clearly good at building products you do it every day for other people and then you're building these internal ones that are sort of tiny bespoke little things It seems like it would be really tempting to maybe just bridge that gap. Like, you know, maybe we don't take this client and instead dedicate the time to like doing a labs project that we think we can charge for. And maybe it will end up being like a more profitable venture than a single client. I, I don't know. This is just in my head. Some a temptation that I think would arise.
2: I mean, it probably depends too on what that idea is. Yeah, yeah. I think sure. a lot of times the things that we're drawn to are like solving a specific problem for people using technology and design, and those might end up being companies. I think we we started we shipped a Labs project called Tiny Sheet a while ago, which is like the smallest spreadsheet in the world. (laughs) And it's, it's like, I've made so many memes with this thing, It's, (laughs) which is a weird thing to say about like a spreadsheet, but it's also quite useful. So we're thinking about, well, could we expand the tiny sheet into other tiny things? What would that look like? What could those be? Oh, this is
0: great. Tiny sheet.com.
2: It's wonderful. It's like, if you've ever been like, I just need to like put some math together And I don't want to open up a giant thing. For me personally, I'm kind of bad at spreadsheets. Like I work with PMs who are just masters at this. And I'm like, I have no idea how to do anything. Sometimes I can make them like pink, but that's about it. So Uh, tiny sheet is like my level of spreadsheet, (laughs) but also just super handy to have like a one-off thing.
0: Wow. This is fascinating. It's
2: super cool. And so thinking about like, what would that look like? I could sort of imagine a world in which we say, all right, let's do like, a tiny blank, like that's our thing. We'll do that as like a side arm, a post light and have that be its own company. But I don't know that we're there yet. I'm not sure that that that's really part of our strategy as a company either. And I think we'd probably still just want to put these out for people so that everybody can use them. And that then brings us back to like, They'll use this tiny product that came out and solved a really interesting and specific problem and say, Postlight did that really well. (laughs) I have this much bigger thing that I need help with. I'll bring that back to Postlight.
0: I see. That makes sense. Okay. Yeah. So it's a good marketing tool, regardless. Mm -hmm. Do you all hire
2: junior designers? We have, I think right now, one junior designer. Like the way that we think about hiring is that we tend to hire for design. We hire generalists. We hire people who can kind of do do all of the pieces of the product design process. Sometimes that means that people who are like, just starting out who don't really have a ton of experience, who aren't familiar with that whole process, might not be super successful at Postlight. But that's not to say that we don't hire junior designers or we wouldn't, but just that we have we have kind of a high bar for junior too.
0: What's that bar look like? Like if you were talking to somebody that was new to design, but they were interested in working at Postlight, what are sort of the baseline requirements or what are the skills that you look for?
2: We definitely look for product thinking. So making sure that somebody understands how product comes together how good ideas turn into software, turn into real things that people can use. So even if somebody doesn't have a ton of experience doing that, if they have that perspective on it, that helps a ton. We also look for leadership. And I'll say that sort of like lowercase L leadership, like this is junior level title.
0: Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. junior level CEO, baby. <laughs>
2: exactly. <laughs> Boss baby is what we look Boss for.
1: <laughs> Amazing. <laughs>
2: but I think somebody who, who will take ownership, who will take that sort of authority of their own work and want to run with it, which again is, is not something you often see at junior level. I think sometimes junior level folks are like, I I really need someone to help tell me how to do this thing. And because we often aren't structured in that way, that's hard for us to support. So it's really that combination of of having an awareness of all of the parts of the product design process and being able to at least try to lead it, like wanting to take that first step. That is one of the things we look for.
0: How do you look for that? Like, What are the heuristics for lowercase L leadership?
2: We look at the way people talk about their work. Or talk about their experience or talk about what they're looking for. There's sort of no one thing where it's like, if you do this thing, then you have checked the leadership box. Way to go. Totally. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. But it's a lot of how are this, how is this person thinking about something? How are they exploring these ideas? How are they collaborating with other people? Are they trying to do things that they know are maybe not usually design things, but they want to try them anyway. Are they like expanding the boundaries of what they were responsible for in a helpful and collaborative way? And how does that all kind of come together and how are they talking about that?
0: Are there common parts of those interviews with people who skew more junior? Like are there common elements of common weaknesses or common points of failure for, for people that are applying?
2: Oh, that's a great question. Yeah.
1: Good one, Brian. Whew. I had to really work on the wording for <laughs> that one. It. Yeah, yeah it was
0: good. It came out, we got there.
2: <laughs> I think one of the common points of failure, I think, is, is seeing work or talking about process that is a little too perfect. Does that make sense?
1: Idealistic?
2: Both idealistic and also like straight out of G A. And I, I could say that I worked at GA, like I know that there's a process. Uh
1: can
0: I interpret and, and regurgitate in a maybe bad way, but like people <laughs> that are too designy? Is um, that is that like an accurate characterization yes. or am I off? I
2: think we're we're able to suss out very quickly if this is just designed for design sake versus design in the service of building a great product experience. And so I think some of that comes out in like the formality of a case study. Sometimes we see things like people are creating personas so that they can like check the box of I have created a persona, <laughs> but it doesn't really mean anything. There's not a lot of data going into that. The personas don't come into play later on, stuff like that. We're really looking for people who, are, who can be thoughtful about that process. If you are developing a persona, How? And how are you using that? Why is that an important part of your process? Kind of like anything else. Why are you doing a wireframe in this way? How does this help the whole process? And what is it in service of?
0: Makes sense. Yeah, you often run into case studies that look better than the underlying work. Like, Well, not even look, but like have more thought put into them, it seems like, in terms of presentation or layout or animation. It's like, (laughs) (laughs) where is the priority? Where do hard skills fit into that for you? we've talked a lot about like product thinking but what about actual pixel pushing ability
2: yeah we look for that too often a portfolio is a really great way to to assess that and like product I like to say product design is like 37 different jobs. And that's that goes down to the hard skills too of, do you do UX? What does UX even mean? Like, is it a hot dog? <laughs> like, what, what is that? <laughs> but I think going through that portfolio, seeing how is this person laying out information? How is this person understanding what needs to be communicated? What is the hierarchy of whatever this thing look like? Are they using patterns that make sense for the kind of product it is? So that's that's on the like UX piece of it, but also with UI, how are you adapting to that? We see a lot of people who create design systems or style guides for products, and I think that's like a great way to have that piece be great collaboration with engineers, with other people on the project. But again, if it's just, I'm doing a design system to make a design system, that's not as helpful for us as saying like, we've created this design system to meet problems, to solve problems, to work within constraints. So really thinking through what does the thing look like? How is it put together? What is the experience of the thing? And how is it successful or not?
0: How does that end up working? Okay, so like let's fast forward past the interview and and you're actually just working on a project now. I'm really curious about at the agency level and, and the work you're doing when like a perceived design priority is in conflict with like the scope of the project or, you know, what the problems that engineering and and PMs want to solve. Uh, Like design, does that make sense? Design wants something that is grander or more complicated than is, accounted for like how do you approach that
2: yeah i was i was talking with a designer who is a little bit more junior about this the other day actually and she was like so i have this design and i'm working on this thing and and the pm on this project is like telling me it's out of scope but my user research says that's what we need to do like what do i do how do people navigate (laughs) yeah
0: answer
1: this please (laughs) twist arms
2: i mean (laughs) My, my response to her was sort of like, bakes of cookies. I don't know. But, but like in the service. <laughs> the
1: <ivory. laughs> uh, hey, no, no,
2: no. <laughs> Really in the service of like, it wasn't baked cookies. It was talk to your PM. It's figuring out why is the PM making this decision? If they know, if the PM is aware that the research is pointing in this direction, they're not making this call because they think that the design is incorrect. Like that makes zero sense. They're making this decision based on other factors. Maybe it's that they know that their engineering resources are cut because somebody just went on vacation or somebody had a baby or something happened. So they just don't have time to be building something that's that large right now but maybe we can get it in for the next iteration. Maybe there's something else going on. Maybe there's another prioritization thing that is happening, but you don't know unless you have that conversation. So we do this a lot at postlight too, even though I think with our prioritization it's more about like is this in scope or is this out of scope? It's a little project runway in that way. You're either in or you're out.
0: I have not heard that reference before. Really?
2: Oh man. <laughs> okay. So you need to go bird watching and you need to watch project runway. Project runway. Okay, <laughs> yeah, project runway,
1: Did Yeah. In the world of fashion, one day you're in and the next you're out. <laughs>
2: Okay. Thank you. I'm glad somebody mm-hmm. got that one.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, yeah. Pop culture boy over
0: yeah, here. <laughs> Marshall is essentially a treasure chest just full of pop culture knowledge and references. <laughs> and nothing else. And nothing else. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Amazing. So it's less of like, can we push this to the next thing? Because as we talked about before, sometimes there isn't a next thing. Sometimes it's just the thing. So figuring out like, what, what is this whole thing? can we put this thing in or do we need to keep it out? What does it look like? And those change over time. So sometimes, I mean, this is probably fairly common everywhere. As you get closer to your deadline of whatever kind that is, sometimes you have to be very aggressive about what are we actually going to ship with? How do we prioritize the time and resources that we have left to complete all of the work that's left? and sometimes there's a crunch time and you have to do like a little extra work at the end and sometimes you're able to say you know this was a nice to have from the very beginning like let's let's try to do that some other time or we will hand over which is more more realistic for us we will hand over all of our thinking and the work that we've done toward this feature when we deliver the rest of it so to say you can have this piece of it when you're ready to iterate on it start from here yeah Mm -hmm. so you have like a baseline already
1: yeah I was gonna ask what the handoff for the roadmap is like if you if you have the plan already set up but like our time ends you know does that get handed off it sounds like yes
2: yeah yeah and and sometimes it depends totally on the kind of work and like what done I'm using finger quotes you can't see me because this is a podcast (laughs) but
1: (laughs) I heard him whiff through the air
2: (laughs) yeah thank you (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> so what like done really means sometimes it's we have built a thing and it's live and people are using it like that is done sometimes it's we have built the thing and it's internal so that the, some team can live with it for a while and team food yeah sometimes it's like just the design of the thing that's rare but sometimes that happens too where it's like have the thing and then when you're ready we'll be ready to build it for you So it really depends on what what success looks like for the client, which is almost always something different.
0: Makes sense. Yep. Skylar, this has been great. I want to make sure we leave time to talk about our cool finds for the week. Oh, yeah. Cool things. So we've prepped you beforehand and given you plenty of time to discover a cool thing to share on this week's episode. So we can do this however you want. If you want to go first, you're more than welcome.
2: Sure, I'll go first because I have a really cool one. Okay. Wow. <laughs> oh, and by the way, this
0: is a competition. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, challenge accepted.
2: They're all really cool. We're all cool winners here. So my cool thing for this week is a video game. Love it already. I think it's a video game. It is an MMO. I'm going to call it an MMO. It's by Crows, 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 which is a design studio. They did a VR game called Accounting, which is awesome. And so they released this online MMO called The Zone. That is the website. And it's awesome. It's amazing. And I spent a bunch of time in there just jumping around and yelling shots, shots, shots at people and trying to limbo.
0: Oh, my God. The sound just came on when I visited the website <laughs> and exploded my ears. I'm
2: so oh sorry. Oh, my God.
1: It scared me actually really bad. Uh, this website <laughs> is outstanding. It's by really the way. cool. It is 1995 (laughs) incarnate. It's amazing.
2: (laughs) It reminded me a lot. So when I got like the email newsletter about it, because of course I did, they were like, this is our first MMO. And I looked at it and I was like, wait a minute, but I've seen this, something like this before. And what I was thinking of was, I'm getting two cool things now, um, Bubsy 3D, which is bubsy 3 dcom which is not crows, crows, crows. That's by Arcane Kids. And I don't think you can run it in browser anymore. I think you have to download it. So the MMO part of that, that isn't quite the same, but it's Bubsy visits the James Turrell retrospective at LACMA.
0: I'm missing so much information (laughs) here.
2: Okay. James Turrell is an artist (laughs) who works with light and color. And there was a retrospective of his work at the Los Angeles Museum of Contemporary Art that Arcane Kids sort of created a digital version of and had Bubsy, the lovable cartoon go through. So you as Bubsy can go through this experience and learn about art and it's it's sort of like i would say a conceptual cousin to the club dot zone but also very cool
1: cross cross crows also made the stanley parable if you're familiar with that it's like one of the best games
2: yeah they're excellent (sighs)
1: Okay. Are you familiar with Stanley Parable, Brian? I don't know any of this stuff you guys do. It's, it's the <laughs> most, it's like the most meta game. There's a narrator describing what you do and there's like a million endpoints. It's a walking simulator kind of, but it is, it is witty and sarcastic and hilarious. Okay.
2: So, Brian, you have several things to follow up on. Although the two of them are kind of the same, you have crows, 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 and bird watching. Yeah.
1: So. <laughs> yeah, you can watch some crows, crows, crows. <laughs> <sighs> wow. Okay. I'm
0: I'm sort of in a, a little bit of a rabbit hole right now. So this is great. Um, I have lots of tabs open.
1: Okay. Cool. Cool. Cool thing. Good job, Skylar! You nailed you it. You got Thanks. Marshall excited. I never get Marshall excited <laughs> about my cool things.
2: I want to hear your cool things now.
1: So, have either of you seen Mind Hunters before? No. It's a it's a Netflix show about the creation of the behavioral sciences unit that basically termed, it coined the term serial killer. Wow. Yes. And it's got some people you recognize. It's got the guy; his name is Robert Paulson from Fight Club, the guy who started the. His name is Robert Paulson. Thing, he's one of the characters. And it's got a guy from Hamilton. He played King George in Hamilton. Uh, he he looks like a young Carrie Ellis. Uh, if you know who I'm talking about, Carrie Ellis.
2: Yes. Princess Bride. Yes,
1: yes. Saw. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, the show is about them interviewing serial killers to figure out, it's, it's it's like the dawning of the idea of like, hey, maybe the way you were raised and the things you've experienced in life influence the way you act. And serial killers, maybe if we interview them and talk to them, we can learn what kind of things led up to them becoming serial killers, and we can identify that in other people and maybe predict and create like a profile of what a serial killer is based on their behavior and help catch them, right? And this is, like like I said, set in the 70s, so it's all a period film or a period show. But season two just came out, like I think, yesterday.
0: Oh, nice. Okay. And season one was
1: very, very good. And season two so far, I think we're like four or five episodes in. We started binging last night. It's very, very good as well. So... Mind Hunters season two or season one, if you haven't seen the first one.
2: Amazing,
1: great. I think that's also a book,
0: or there's a book called Mind Hunter, which is about the FBI's serial crime unit. But yeah, it was actually the behavioral sciences unit. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. The FBI behavioral sciences unit. That's yeah. exactly what it is. And I think some of it is like apocryphal, or you know, it's it, it's a fictional show, so they're they're putting words in actual serial killers' mouths that might not have actually been spoken, but. For example, I, uh, the episode I just watched had Char- Charlie Manson on it, right? And there's, there's other serial killers that you'd recognize, like Ed Kemper, maybe. But it's super interesting. It's a good show and kind of creepy. It's cool. Cool. My cool thing
0: is going to be the software one of the, the podcast. So I, my cool thing is a directory of cool things. And this directory is called Awesome Mac, which is a GitHub repository in which... The community compiles awesome Mac applications. So, Marshall, you and I in the past, we've spent a lot of time talking about neat little utility apps. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, And I've spotted a couple of them in this list. But this is, not to exclude that category from future
1: cool things, but this is sort of like a master list of cool utility applications for free Mac. Are talking about like Bartender and Yoink and Keyboard Maestro, that kind of thing? Yeah, those are all here and they're organized by like the type of thing that it will do
0: for your computer. So there's like a quality of life feature or section, there's a communication section, there's developer section, reading and writing.
1: Oh, so it's like kind of like a product hunt for Mac utilities.
0: Yeah, but it's just a GitHub repos. So it's just a list of links. And so we'll have a link to that in the show notes, but it's called Awesome hyphen Mac, which I'm sure if you Googled the get repo would probably come up. Yeah, it's actually the first result on Google. So if you search
1: awesome Mac. Or you could just go into my heavily curated show notes and click it from there.
0: <laughs> yes, heavily curated show notes at spec.fm.
1: Cool. Well, that was cool things. Skylar, thank you so much for joining us. This is really informative. Thank you.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, this is great. Uh, anything you want
0: to to plug or, or maybe call out where people can find you on the internet?
2: Sure. So, Postlight is postlight.com. I am hello underscore Skylar on Twitter and i think also skylar with
1: an e with an right? e
2: thank you yes i just assume you know that's how that's how people would say it it's not like i'm a pirate or skylar but yes with an e
1: <laughs> isn't that how the wife from breaking bad it spelled her name skylar
2: I don't know. Really? That's the only
1: Skylar I'm familiar with.
2: I don't know. I just remember being a junior designer or I think around the time that that came out and I would come into work on Mondays and be like, I can't believe Skylar did that. And I'd be like, I'm <laughs> <No>. so sorry. <laughs> no,
1: <laughs> What did I do?
2: <laughs> right. And yeah. it was never about me. <laughs>
1: it's okay. I get lots of Eminem references. So it's fine. <laughs> Uh I get McLevin references, ah, uh. yeah, uh, yep, yep. it's too easy. This is all too easy. The
0: conversation goes as such. What's your last name,
1: like you know at the d m v or whatever
0: last name Lovin. <laughs> McLovin. bet you've never heard that, and then I say, yes, I've never heard that
1: no yeah the <laughs> the fun thing to do there is to go, oh god, that oh like that uh like that super bad movie, that's funny, I've never heard that before right <laughs> like make them think they're the first and a genius. That might just brighten their day. That's it good does. good It does. Like when people <laughs> people make the obvious reference to my name. like, actually, you know, no one's ever said that before. That's really good. That's very funny. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, we cut you off. So hello underscore
0: Skylar with an E on Twitter.
2: And I have a website. at SkylarBalbus.com. You can find me there. I'm the only one in all of history with my name. So I'm not too hard to find.
1: Yeah, yeah, really, that's good, right? <laughs> that good internet juice.
2: Yep. Got that SEO. But also I could never hide. So
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: double edged sword.
1: Well, links in the show notes. For all that stuff. All right, Skylar. Well, this was fantastic. Thank you for taking your
0: Saturday afternoon to let us pick your brain.
2: Of course, it was a pleasure.
1: All right, that was the interview. Thank you to Skylar Balbus for joining us and and uh, having such great answers to our questions. Yeah, we hope you enjoyed it. But let us know what you thought. We're
0: on Twitter at Design Details FM. As we mentioned at the beginning of the show, you can. DM us your questions and we will do our best to answer them. But we're trying a new experiment on this GitHub repo. So go to github.com/slash specfm slash design hyphen details, link in the show notes, and we want to experiment with having issue-driven listener questions. So give that a try. In the meantime, if you need more podcasts for your ears, uh go to specfm. That's spec.fm. That is our podcast network for designers and developers just like you. Got lots of shows on there. Uh If you are design-minded, go check out Layout with our good friends Rafa and Kevin. Otherwise, thank you to Sarah and Drew, our editors and producers, who make this show and other shows on the Spec Network possible. They make us sound smarter than we actually are. So thank you, Sarah and Drew, for another week and another episode. And uh, thank you all for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. See you next week.
1: Bye.